Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Yes, it is episode 14. We are 14 episodes in of Orange and Backcheck. I am Bill Kornfeld. Across from me is Scott Weinhart. This is a pro-gritty podcast. Going to get that out of the way right now. As at the timing of this, the breaking news is Gritty is under investigation by the Philadelphia Police Department for alleged assault, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. We are pro-gritty. We think this guy is making up things. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the big story is, I was completely wrong. Scott, of course, was completely right. The Flyers had an incredible week, capping off with a 3-0 blanking of their arch-rival, cross-state, Pittsburgh Penguins, 3-0 last night. Scott, how are you feeling after this week? 8 out of 10 points? Yeah, man, I'm feeling great about it. Like... This is why I say every week you have to break it down by week to see how well the team is playing. You know, if you really want to look at it, when it got to the Montreal game, they had lost, let me see, five out of eight. But if you break it down for this past week, they've won four out of five. So if you look in the short term of it, they, they actually it's a really good week because they needed to make up ground in the standings because there is a there's a huge, huge tie for that second wild card spot. Columbus jumped up. They've got 60 points. The Flyers have 60 points, and Carolina has 61. And this Metropolitan Division is so good, the Flyers, believe it or not, (laughs) it's so good that in a division of, let's see, eight teams, the Flyers are in sixth in the division. And they are are basically tied for the second wild card spot. That's bewildering to me. That's how good the Metro is. So the fact that they've had such a good week – and made up ground, fantastic. Yeah, this is one of the weeks that I got to look at the Flyers, say they played an incredible game of hockey, especially last night against Pittsburgh, where they were just, they came out like a team possessed. And they played a 60-minute game, 200 feet of ice. Like, it didn't seem like there was a moment where they were flat-footed in any capacity. Everyone showed up last night, and that was rightfully so. You always want to show up for your rival. My problem is, or not problem, I shouldn't categorize it as a problem, but as you were saying, they're at 60 points. One of their best unofficial, because we're at the All-Star break now, the All-Star break is kind of just the unofficial halfway point of the season. Despite being 50 games in, this team, if this was a normal league, if the NHL did things correctly, this team is solidly in the playoffs, I feel. Like... 
Carol or excuse me, Florida. Yes, is a is a good team. They're they're in, or just the Atlantic Division is a good good roster. But the imbalance of where the Metro is, like you were just saying, the Flyers are in sixth place in the Metropolitan Division, third place in the Wild Card. One point, or they're tied for tied for that Wild Card. It's crazy, and I can't blame people for looking at it after such such a successful week and still just going. I don't know where this team sits. But at the end of the day, this team should be solidly in the playoffs at the end of the day. Well, one thing about the team that I'm starting to see is they're starting to come full circle here. The complaint that I see, and it's valid, is that they can beat some of the top teams in the league, but then they fall to teams that they should not fall to. I mean, you know, going back to that West Coast trip at the end of December a couple weeks back, you know, losing to the Sharks by five goals, unacceptable. Losing to the Kings, who are really, really bad unacceptable but when they need to show up they will look we, we talked about it last week they lost one goal to the hottest team in the league tampa they lost and they got shut out one nothing their first time they've been shut out all season that alone is progress so that means the offense is going then you respond by being down two goals to boston and come back to win in a shootout which was one of the craziest endings i've ever seen with brad marchand just overskating that puck i've never seen that in my entire life then Two nights later, you go play the defending Stanley Cup champions. You have a 3-1 lead. You blow it, but you pull it out in overtime. And then we find out the news that day, too, that Carter Hart got hurt. So you come home. You play Montreal the night after. Now, look, I'm not making excuses for travel. Every team has to do these back-to-backs. But I didn't see any juice out of that game against Montreal. Alex Lyon played a really good game and a spot start. Overall, the team just didn't have the jump. But at the same time, Montreal has really come on in the past two weeks. They lost eight in a row. They've now won four out of five. And the biggest piece to their puzzle that's going to help them, actually, is getting Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, They signed him to after he was bought out by the Kings to a one-year $700,000 deal. Kovalchuk, I mean, he's 37 years old. He doesn't have the speed he used to have. I was watching him, but he's still such an amazing player. He dominated that game. He's a half step behind where he used to be, which is still a half step ahead against half of the people in the NHL. So that that's why Montreal is getting good again. But still, you drop one game with a back-to-back. You didn't really see the juice, but you come off an emotional win. Okay, you move past it and move on. Then you come back and you dominate the Kings 4-1. to one. And last night... You encapsulate it all with Brian Elliott's first shutout of the season against Pittsburgh in what I thought was the closest thing to a playoff game I've seen in a while. The team, I thought, played an all-around solid game. Brian Elliott got a little lucky with a couple of posts, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, and a post or a goalie's best friend, as you'll find out when we do Chalk Talk, because we're doing goaltending now. But the thing is, is that this team is starting to come full circle, okay, where you're starting to see a little bit of that consistency again i've been seeing flow this week my favorite f word so (laughs) the the thing is that going into the break you're now on a high note you have a week here where you can try to get carter hart healthy you have a week here where guys can kind of heal up but you're coming right back to it because you only have one all-star participant connect which is surprising to me by the way and you come back on the 31st and you play pittsburgh again so 
it's a good time for the team to go out on this note and get a little bit of rest, but here comes crunch time because now you're getting into February where every single point has become more critical and you're also going to see a lot more playoff-style hockey. So this is a good time to basically get your stuff together. Yeah, th- like I said, there's, they're at 50 games remaining – or excuse me, they're at 50 games in, 32 games left. That's 64 potential points on the on the ice right now that they need to ca- encapsulate. They're already at 60 points, and we talked about earlier that like 87 to 90 range, 93 range is going to get you a pry in that playoff zone. Maybe not this year, though. If, if Columbus it, has got 60 is, points right now, that's going to be a tight thing to do. You're going to need closer to 100 points. You need to win 20 more games. You need to win 20 yeah. out of 32 games. But yeah, that's what I was, was going to say. Like, this is such an odd year in terms of the competition. I mean, historically speaking, the NHL is one of the most competitive leagues uh, parity-wise in all of sports. But this year, like, the Flyers, like we said, are in sixth place in the Metropolitan and they're still right there in the playoffs. So like normally, when you hear you're in sixth place, you're vi- you're crawling and scratching for a playoff spot. They're they're not scratching. They're they're solidly in the race, and they're still struggling. Or excuse me, and they're still in a fighting zone where they cannot take a rest. You need, like you said, you need to win probably about 20 games of these remaining 32, and that's no small feat. So we'll get into it a little bit uh, you know, on next week's podcast, but the schedule doesn't get any easier than it's already been. Like we talked about all these crazy back-to-backs. They go all the way up until March. They play Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh right out of the gate of the All-Star game, All-Star break. Then they come back home on a travel for a back-to-back with Colorado. That's never easy because of just on a back-to-back, you're going across state. It's never easy. Then you travel again, going to Detroit a day, a couple days later, and then it's just it doesn't get any easier from here on out, is what I'm getting at. So we'll dive into that a little bit more in depth uh, next week. But you were saying over the last five games, I'm looking at the last eight and the schedule that they have performed at. They've played Washington, Tampa, Boston, St. Louis, and the Pittsburgh Penguins in this eight game stretch, and they've only lost to Tampa like and Montreal (laughs) right right right. but I'm talking about those teams that those top-notch teams those in playoff teams like that is no small feat to beat Boston uh like yes it was a home game but to go down against them come back then you go down against St. Louis in St. Louis the Stanley Cup champions incredible feat that's why I don't look at the Carter Hart injury like they immediately announced him right after the Boston game I believe it was and they just said yeah he saw he has a slight hamstring I believe and it's two to three weeks and if this was two weeks ago I would have much bigger concern three uh, three weeks from now even bigger concern there's no good time to have an injury but this is a good time to have an injury if you're Carter Hart. You were going there, and I and it's the truth. You're absolutely right. I mean, you lose your starting goaltender when your backup goaltender comes in and plays valiantly as he's allowed four goals in three games and one in his last two. So that's what you need for your backup goaltender. You're right. There's never a good time to get an injury, but that's really if you're going to get it out of the way, I'm glad it's now and not where it was like last season right in February when he got hurt right before the um, the, the, the stadium series game. 
Yep. And and that kind of Elliot played great when he came back, but they they had stability before that, and it, 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 that's something where you're in a critical point of the schedule. Now that they're getting into the critical point of the schedule, chances are since it happened on the 13th, you'll have them back probably about either by the Colorado game, maybe the Detroit game. At the most, I would say between the around the Devils game on the 6th of February. So you should have them back by then, which is good because you got a whole week free now where you can just focus on healing up. You don't have to rush him back. Yes, I just alluded to how this schedule doesn't get any easier, but early on, it's somewhat favorable in your because you're staying on the East Coast or mostly the East Coast. Pittsburgh, Colorado, If, like you said, if he's not back. Like, I would target the Devils game on the 6th of February. I don't think that is too crazy to go three or more games without Carter Hart before he comes back against the New Jersey Devils in Philadelphia. Like, you're playing it back at home against him. That's the game right before the, you play the Washington Capitals, who's the best te- one of the best teams in the NHL right now. And I think you just, I think that's the sweet spot. That's about three and a half weeks since the injury. He, he'll be completely healed by then. I think the Devils is where he's going to get, get his next start. And that would be a smart move because, you know, with all due respect to the Devils, they haven't performed at the expectations this season. So that might be a good game to get him in and get him going before you play Washington two nights later because that's when the schedule really picks up. If you're looking over the next 30 days, they've got a lot of big games coming up. I mean, against playoff teams. it's All the teams here on out are pretty much in the playoff line. We're talking Washington. We're talking Florida twice. We're talking the Islanders, a home-and-home with Columbus, twice against the Rangers. They play the Sharks, and then they play the Capitals again, then Carolina. There's a lot of divisional matchups coming up over the next 30 days. They're going to be huge points because they're essentially four-point swings. So they've got to really make sure they're healthy, and this is going to be a good test for them as far as being make sure that they're probably going to have to start transitioning to more tighter-checking playoff-style hockey because there's a point you're not going to be able to afford to get up. So um, – you know, the trade deadline is going to come around that time. Fletcher met the media last week, uh, talked about how he's still exploring things. He even mentioned with the scheduling that they might talk to the league about it, you know, the next season about doing things different with the league, but there's a lot that goes into it apparently. Um, so, you know, this team is is got its work cut out for them. They're, they're not in the clear yet, but is it doable? 100% it is. I'd say we'd have a really, really, by the time February 20th comes around and they've completed the home-and-home against the Blue Jackets, you'll find out if this team is playoff-worthy or not. They've shown flashes of it by beating Boston, St. Louis, and the Penguins. But it really comes down to the fact that in those games where they're really going to have to grind it out, you're going to see what type of team could go into the playoff hunt here. 100%. And... Because this is there's a lot of away games in the month in the in the start of February, it starts to even out towards the end and early into March. The one thing that they need to get cleared and ready to go on all home games. I'm doing this transition very well. Uh, I, I can't wait for it. They need gritty on the every game. I don't care if they have to bail him out of jail after this story broke today about his alleged assault. 
I say alleged very loosely because there's no way this actually happened. Scott, did you read the story that was broken by the Philadelphia Inquirer? Yeah, apparently the boy needed medical attention. Now, I read that and I shook my head like, okay, so you're accusing Gritty of punching a child, a 13-year-old. First of all, okay, if the police are investigating it, how are you going to arrest a mascot, first of all? All right. That's where this stops and ends. The fact that we're talking about arresting a mascot as if it's not an... I know this is going to hurt my feelings as much as anyone else's. Gritty isn't real. He's real, but he's also not at the same time. Like, he's not an actual... Like, he's not collecting a social security check. He doesn't have a real job. There's a person that does this. So, like, the fact that Christian uh, Hetrick of Philadelphia Inquirer... I love this guy. I'm putting up... He's my favorite to win a Pulitzer Award for this reporting. Incredible reporting. You cannot tell me that he actually called the Philadelphia Flyers asking for Gritty's comment. As if Gritty is a real thing and real person to this alleged thing. That's the first fault I have with this whole thing. The second thing is this guy is alleging that after waiting in line at a season ticket holder meet and greet, which they do often, I think they actually just had one uh, with players, um, you're telling me that after waiting in line for at least an hour to meet the notorious uh, uh, Gritty, you're telling me after taking a picture with him, he charged at your son and punched him in the back and no one else saw this? I love because the quote is, took a running start and punched my son as hard as he could. Like, I can't imagine a mascot doing that. I, 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 I can't imagine that. I can't imagine the guy would run and punch the guy kid in the back. I mean, maybe he could have been running up to kind of scare him a little bit because Gritty does things like that. But I can't imagine it. When I see running start and punch my son as hard as he could, I'm thinking like a super punch from like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or something along those lines. Yes. From a mascot. I mean, look, can we can we fully discount this? No, the Flyers are saying it's nonsense. And also because it apparently it was on camera. and Which it, But it wasn't. It wasn't on camera. Cameras are focused on other areas. But Which is weird in itself. Like, that's a weird statement. Like, okay, you're like, you should have a camera on Gritty. Gritty's the most popular mascot in not only the city of Philadelphia, but in America right now. Like, if you bring up Gritty in any city, I'm going to guess that someone knows at least what he is. They may not know the team he's associated with, but they know what Gritty is right now because of the incredible marketing by the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers team. Like, good for them. So, the fact that they don't have cameras on Gritty during these kind of events is a little concerning. Like, you should, like, don't get it twisted. They're going to have cameras on Gritty from here on out now that this story's out there. Yeah, they're going to have like, to. You absolutely have to. So I don't blame them for that. Or I, I blame them for that, I should say. But that doesn't change the fact that there are still hundreds upon hundreds of other people. You're saying that you waited in line for over an hour and then... This happened, Gritty charged at your son, hit him in the back, and then you're saying that there's no other witnesses. That doesn't make sense. Not only would 
someone in the PR department had immediately done something. Like the Philadelphia Flyers Department of Public Relations would have stepped in immediately if this actually happened because it would have been seen. You know what? I, I think we I think we need to do so. I think we need to impeach him here. I think we need to read yes. the transcripts and impeach him. I think that's what needs to happen because, you know, it was a perfectly legal punch. It was a perfectly clear punch, and we need to read the transcripts, and we need to impeach Gritty. Did I, I take that a little too Gritty, far though. there? <laughs> I don't want to impeach Gritty, though. I don't want to impeach Gritty, though. Gritty's not worthy of impeachment because we're defending we're, – we're, we're a pro-Gritty podcast. That's So we're not – we're – uh, I don't even know if there is a hashtag against impeachment, but I, if there is, that's what we are. Okay, so yeah, so we're gonna, we're, you know, what we're gonna do? We're gonna put Gritty on trial, and we're not gonna have any witnesses, and we're not gonna uh, interview anybody for it, and we're just gonna quit him that way. How does that sound? Does that sound fair to you? I think so. Okay, good. Let's, let's, let's can we move on, please? <laughs> <laughs> so that's as long as Gritty's at these home games, the Flyers have a legitimate chance on doing. The improbable thing of what it feels like has not happened in years and going to the playoffs. So I'm very excited for this team. But now we have the All-Star break, which is only attended by one Philadelphia Flyer. That's Travis Konechny. Which is surprising. Which is re- I, I, can, I, can I just vent for a second? That's really yeah, surprising to me. I agree. It, it's like Claude Giroux has been to, I believe, eight All-Star games, eight or nine at this point uh, in his career. And it's... Very, it's, I would, like, you're probably, don't take this the wrong way. I think the NHL has a lower criteria than most for what constitutes an all-star, if that makes sense. Like, I, I just don't, I think they're going for, I think it's a popularity contest more than uh, actual skill base. Like, Claude Giroux has had a down year, yes, but he's still producing one of the best, uh, he's having one of his better seasons overall like he's or he's still having a productive season I should say but because of how the NHL operates and we talked about this on a couple podcasts ago about how they are not that good at marketing what they are very good at I would venture to say the NHL all-star weekend top to bottom is the best of the of the four major sports because you also have the pro bowl this week no one's watching the pro bowl I can guarantee even though the NFL has incorporated some of what the NHL does, like in, on the NHL on Friday night will do the skills competitions, which includes this hardest shot, accuracy, fastest skater, all that stuff. The NFL, the NFL has done that too. But the NHL is very good at uh, doing it first in that sense. They're not good at doing many things first, but because they're good at this, they want to get their big name guys out there instead of the guys that have actually produced, which is why it's even more surprising that Claude Giroux is not an all-star this weekend. Here's the thing about the NHL all-star game. You're saying that nobody's going to watch the Pro Bowl? Well, I can pretty much guarantee you, too, that not really many people are going to watch the NHL all-star game either. It's a great event. It's a great event. They have the fastest skater. They have the NHL safe streak where guys go back and forth and try to score. They have nine attempts to do that. Uh, this year, that new thing with the elite women's three-on-three, which I think is beyond fantastic because women's hockey is not nearly marketed enough well as it should be at the NHL should because women's hockey is fantastic. But that's that's another thing. I, I guess the word I was looking for that I was struggling with, they are very innovative on how to keep it fresh. They're, they are constantly trying to keep the All-Star Game weekend 
fresh. I think they know that it's not going to draw a huge attendance because I believe the actual game is Saturday night. I I, I think they know that they're not going to get a big attendance, but what they try and do is to draw people in for just a couple of minutes to get them to like at least have it on in the background of the of your television at your house while you're doing other stuff because it's very innovative. I think this is the first year. No, they had who was the woman last year that did the speed skating? I can't remember her name, but that was the first incorporation of women into the NHL All-Star weekend, and now they're expanding that even more. That's very innovative to be doing and why it sets it apart from the other ones of the four major sports. Well, here's the thing about the All-Star game that I think that it doesn't really do it justice. I think having it in the middle of the season is not a good fit for the league. It's something they should do it after the playoffs. Because here's the thing, like Ovechkin's not playing this year. Tuka Rask isn't playing this year. A lot of guys are starting to opt out for it because they need the extra rest because they know they're going on a playoff run. That's why Rask isn't playing. They went to Game 7 of the final last year. I can't really blame them. And Ovechkin, listen... Let's be honest here. Ovechkin's in his mid-30s. He doesn't have a whole lot of gas in the tank to spare. I'd say to spare. He's got gas in the tank. But the thing is, is that maybe also is it's going to put a spotlight on other guys who probably need that little push from the All-Star game. But the problem is it's done in the middle of the season when it should be ideally pushed to the end. Like, the reason why the NFL moved the Pro Bowl to the week in between the Super Bowl was to get an extra week there because after the Super Bowl, nobody cared. Nobody really cared about the Pro Bowl to begin with. But I think that if they did a little more with it, like have a three-on-three tournament like they did with the World Cup a few years ago, they got pretty good ratings out of that ESPN did. They could probably do something similar and make sure you have all your stars there because guess what? There's going to be only two teams playing in June, not any more than that. There's going to be a lot of guys who could probably say, okay, I can I can strap on my gear and play one game there. They have I, a- I, I, I don't agree. I think you're going to see – if they were to do that, I think, I think the reason that the Pro Bowl – because the Pro Bowl used to be after the Super Bowl, and it completely failed. Like, it was even worse. There was a time when the Pro Bowl was even worse than what it is now. And that's when it was after the Super Bowl. For whatever reason, they would always do it after the Super Bowl, thinking that that was good or that was a smart idea, send them these players off to Hawaii, and then go from there. I don't think the uh, the post-playoff is a, is a successful thing, especially because let's say that the, the, the Stanley Cup final does, does go to a Game 7. You're talking June 18th as the final game? Like... No, it's usually the first, latest, the early second week of June. So the twelfth, the four, so the fourteenth. That would be the second week. It's like if if it lines up perfectly. That's the like people are already going on summer vacations. It's just the difference in like summer's just different in terms of how people consume television. So why try and like incorporate this meaningless game? At the end of the day, it's a meaningless game. Like it's cool that they have the division versus division. Like, that's a cool thing that they've incorporated with the 3v3, division versus division, uh, and then go from there. I don't see how po- having it post-playoff does any good for the for the NHL. I don't think they will touch this. Well, I mean, here's the thing. People crave hockey in the summertime. I mean, like I, like, I go back to the World Cup a couple years ago where they had the North American team of the young guys, and they had all the other teams that they played it. And that, that was a really, really awesome tournament to watch in the middle of the summer, and it, it was actually really a lot of fun. 
I think if they could do something like that, they could expand it. And rather than doing it over, you know, a course of two days, they can do a little more, make it more like a more tournament and get more guys involved. That's what I'm thinking. I think that doing it where you basically have one player per team doesn't really do it as much justice. Now, the skills competition is beyond fantastic, but make it more of a tournament out of that. I mean, I'm really looking forward to the NHL shooting stars this year. You know, they have... 10 players, 8 NHL All-Stars, and one American Elite Women's All-Star member, and one Canadian Elite Women's All-Star member, and they do these different things where they be positioned on elevated platforms, like 30 feet above the goal, and they're shooting at a variety of targets. That's awesome! That See, I want to see that, but I don't want to be limited to 8 NHL All-Stars. It should be something a little more captive, I'm sorry, it should be a little expanded upon that, because the things they do in the skills competition would be really neat. Now, to your point... I can see that, that people will probably get, okay, there's too many guys that can get boring. Okay, that's fair enough. That's a fair argument. I agree with that. I'm just saying is that instead of dropping it off, you know, where the weekend of the Pro Bowl and on a Friday night in the end of January, maybe see if you get more expansive coverage in it right around maybe like the draft or something or do something and combine it with like the draft and have like a hockey week or something along the lines because, and we'll get to that later in the season, but the draft coverage for the NHL is absolutely putrid. So they could do that to gain more viewership and kind of combine those there. Hey, here's your NHL All-Stars, and here are some of your future All-Stars you're going to see here today, and combine them with a the draft and do something along those lines. That's the point I'm trying to make, is that instead of dedicating an entire week and a weekend, specifically to an All-Star game, where really only one city really gets you know, the, the joy out of it, do it after the season and combine it with the draft and build it out from there. I, that's just my thought. It's an, it's an interesting thought because it's just, I think they have. I, yes, I think this. I think this is the first time in a couple years that it, it's lined up with the Pro Bowl. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on that, but it doesn't matter either way. The point remains the same. I don't think at the end of the day they're trying to get viewers, but they're at the same time they know what they have. Like I talked about earlier, they're not trying to make this team matter and to your point of, or to make this game matter but to your point about the world cup those games do matter to, in a sense because they are vying for a competition or to win a competition say like at the end of the day the nhl all-star game doesn't mean anything it's not like the major league baseball where the al or nl winner determines who has home field advantage in the world series which is in its own self an atrocity well, that's amazing because it gives it value it gives it value that, that that's something that the, that the nhl should look into that would Maybe. give it more value but i think that the, but then you kind of even like everyone says the the age-old argument about why hockey regular season viewership is down or just low in general is because well the re and regular season doesn't really matter until march early or late february early march and that's true to a point but like it's not like the NBA is having a down year, right? They're not they're they're having one of their lowest rating seasons in recent history, in recent memory. But at the end of the day, I'm still turning on the 76ers when they play the Toronto Raptors. I'm still turning them on when they play the Boston Celtics. You're and I think that's still the case for exclusively for Philadelphia with the Philadelphia Flyers when they play the Washington Capitals, especially when they play the Penguins like they did the other night. But at the end of the day, the viewers the the they still believe that the games don't matter until X date. And doing that is why 
you try and freshen it up with something that matters in term or trying to pretend that something matters in the NHL All-Star game. So trying to make it pretend that it matters by making it mean something by determining home home ice advantage doesn't really do anything for me. It should still be determined, and I think it is now, by who had the better regular season in points-wise. Like, that's... Because you're if you're going to do that for the All-Star game, you're diminishing the regular season even more, and you're going to draw viewers away even more. That's my point. And that's a fair point. I, You know what? I, I, I have to agree with you there. I think that's actually a very, very fair point to make. Okay, so I stand corrected. I think that's actually a really good point that you bring across there. I mean... I think we talked about a couple weeks ago as well that one of the things the league should look into is reducing the amount of games because then you put more out more and a three-point system would add more value to what it actually was. And then that way, if you do condense that, then maybe the All-Star game would be something good to do because you could expand upon a little more. I mean, you know, the divisions, the three-on-three is great, but I, I still think that you're right. It's a popularity contest. It should be, okay, a popularity contest plus the guy who has the most points on a team. So, and if it's yep. the same guy, then it's the number two or something along those lines. So, you know, I think that if it's something like that, they can expand upon it and actually make like a tournament out of it. So that's just my view on it. I think it could be done differently. I, you know, it's things that we haven't seen one here in Philadelphia, an all-star game since 1992. We're talking almost 30 years ago. So, you know, they did the draft here a couple years ago, but every time I look at I see, I would attend an all-star game to see it because I think it would be a neat little, nice little spectacle to see, especially the skills competition. Uh, but, you know, still, it's something where it, it really only benefits one city. And I think that turning it on TV, it doesn't do it justice on how much skill these guys really have. That's why I'm thinking maybe they could do something different to really get it out there more and something where it has the viewership that it deserves, especially with the women's three-on-three tournament. I mean, I think that's just beyond awesome the NHL does that. So, I mean, hopefully that people will pay attention to that and something they can build upon on in the future. I certainly will be on Friday night. But before we wrap, before we get to the point, the one of the most popular skill competitions is the fastest skater. And for the last forever, it seems like it's been forever since he lost. Like, Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers is bar none the fastest skater on the planet. And I'm very interested in this year particularly because Connor McDavid is not going to probably is not going to win the fastest skater. There's no way he wins it. Scott, what is going on with Connor McDavid? Well, people who don't remember, we talked about Connor McDavid before how this kid is the best player in the league bar none. There's nobody close in his league. Sydney People say Crosby's close, Ovechkin's close. They're the most popular. But skill-wise, this kid is better than Crosby. Skill-wise, right now. He hasn't had any accomplishments yet because he's only 23. But skill-wise, he's just beyond amazing. I've said it before, and I will hold true to this statement until unless I am proven wrong, that, that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Edmonton are the closest thing in this era you're going to see to Gretzky and Messier. They're, I, I be, I'm, I'm absolutely being honest with you because they are that good. It's a shame that people on the East Coast won't get to see him. But here's the thing. At the end of the season last year, he suffered a knee injury. He was I can't remember exactly who he was playing, but he got rammed into the net and his leg went awkwardly into the boards. What wound up happening, he was down for a while. It didn't look good to begin with. 
and he took a long time to get back. There was a lot of concern going in the training camp, but apparently right at the beginning they said it was a minor, minor thing. He just needed to heal up. But Ryan Rishog from TSN, who is basically the Canada's ESPN, had some additional information on Connor McDavid's knee injury from last season. And after speaking with the, his McDavid's camp, this is what he reported. And I quote, roughly 10 days after the injury, Connor McDavid was informed that major reconstructive surgery was required on his torn PCL. Okay, so he tore his PCL and nobody really knew about it. It would have cost him the entire 2019-2020 season and would have involved grafts and screws and could have fundamentally changed the way his knee worked and the way he skated. Like, that's beyond me. Like, you're talking the best player in the league who skates like the wind, has hands like I've never even seen. If you get a chance to go back and see the goal he scored against Toronto last week, it's um, it's pretty ridiculous. It could have been stopped, but the hands this kid has is just dirty. But the thing is, is that so it could have fundamentally changed the way he skated. After three opinions, it was the option of rehab that was presented. It was no guarantee his PCL was going to heal correctly, but with a strict regimen of stabilization, diet, and thorough rehab, it allowed it to heal. That's why the team was very, very guarded about asking how his knee was, and they didn't want to alarm anybody because I can't imagine the firestorm the league would have news-wise if they had known that McDavid had suffered a major knee injury. Now, looking at it, if you go back and watch the replay, you know it's not minor, but the team really, really put the lid on it. And credit to them because it would have been a huge distraction. And look at them now. They're they're actually playing very, very well this season. I do think they still have a chance to win a Stanley Cup. They're second in the Pacific with 57 points. And uh, that's uh, having McDavid back, I don't know if he'll win fastest skater. But certainly, you'll, he's going to win a couple of the competitions, whatever he plays in. Because the kid is just magic. There's just no other way to describe it. He's magic. Yeah, so if, if you have time on Friday night, and I, we hope you do, Watch this because it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. And I just looked this up because I I'm, I was looking at the standings. You're, you're talking about the Edmonton having a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. What concerns me right off the bat is they only have a goal differential of two. No, their goaltending isn't hasn't been that great. No, so they, like, they they need they need better goal. The Mike Smith is old. Mike Smith might show up during playoff time. And Miko Koskin in the backup. They gave him too much money to do that. They need an upgrade in goal. Their defense is okay. The thing is, though, is that Dave Tippett's a coach, and I, we talked about this in previous podcasts. Dave Tippett's got a system where his teams are really good off the rush, but once you know how to defend it, they really come down to where Edmonton's really a one-line team. Um, they have a guys who can contribute, but James Neal has cooled down. Other guys who... They would probably count on the cool down. The, really, their scoring comes from Dreisaitl and, and and McDavid. And if you shut them down, you can beat Edmonton. The thing is, though, is that come tight checking in the playoffs, if you give them space, they're going to do some damage and they're going to get their points. But I think that if that team gets a goaltender at the trade deadline, uh, they, they could be dangerous. I still think they are now because I just have a hard time thinking of how can you shut these guys down over a course of seven games. I think it's going to be very difficult to do so. 100%. Well, normally this is about the time when I say, what's your prediction for next week? But there is no next week. We're going to be back by the time we have the All-Star weekend break. Actually, yes. I do want to make a prediction for next week. Ooh, I like predictions. All right. I think the Flyers in the next seven days are going to have zero points. 
Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I really thought you were going to do something like, I think they're going to make a last-minute trade, like, or, or not a last-minute, but a trade over the break, making me... Travis Konecki's going to score on the power play in the All-Star game out of a twist of anything. I haven't seen you tweet me that lately either. You know, this kid, this kid gets on me so much about that contract where I ripped him for giving him that much money for his lack of power play production. And guess what? I haven't seen too much power play production about him this season. So, yeah. <laughs> still, still leading the team in goals, so that's what matters. I okay, 5-on-5. Five five. Granted, that's <laughs> worth paying for. Where's the power play production? And speaking of the power play, one thing I do want to say, the Flyers' power play has actually really improved since they switched to the umbrella formation. So if I can take a moment to break that down before we depart. Of course. The Flyers are 4 for 14 over the last couple of games here, over this last week on the power play. That's 28.6%. That's near the tops in the league if you're going to average it out. Uh, that's really, really solid for them. Now, the thing is for them, they've switched to what's called an umbrella. Really how that works out is that you have – Guys who shoot opposite near the goalie. So a guy who shoots right hand, where his left hand's on top of the stick, right is on the bottom, that's on the left side of the net. On the opposite side is a left-handed shot. So basically, if you ever are familiar with bubble hockey and how mm -hmm. the guys are basically set up that way, where one is on the left side, the guy's got the stick on the left-hand side, and on the right, he's got the stick on the right-hand side, reverse that because it creates a lot of chances for rebounds. Now, they're getting a lot of sticks in front and a lot of deflections, a lot of, like, dirty kind of goals, but that's what you need for that because now they have one man high and then two guys along the boards. If you look at it, it kind of looks like an umbrella shape. That's why it's called the umbrella. These, these pocky people are phen phenomenal with these terminologies. But <laughs> anyway, that has actually allowed them to replace Lindblom on having just a net front presence because now they have two guys in front kind of playing bubble hockey, whack at it if you can, or get something on it to knock it in the net because that's essentially how the formation works out. So a good good play by the coaching staff to really adjust to that. I mean, will it cool down at some point? Yeah, probably it will because, I mean, you're really leaving something successful high. So if you have a diamond, meaning that if you have one guy in front of the net, one guy chasing the point, and a guy along the wall – you're susceptible to breakaways the other way. So until that happens once or twice, I expect them to go with it. But if it cools down, I expect them to go back to another formation. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like we need to make an adjustment. So let's do this now. And then after the All-Star break or during maybe, well, Vigneault said he's just going to sit on his pontoon boat and drink a martini during the break. So I don't know how much actual uh, breakdown of the power play he's going to be doing. But that's something that might be on the agenda. Like, okay, when our umbrella eventually breaks down, what do we go to next? But it's one of those classic cases of, it's like line shifting almost. Like, they changed up the lines this week. We saw Giroux, JVR, and Konechny. No, Coots. It was Coots, I believe. They put a, they put Giroux back a lot at center against uh, for face-off reasons against Boston, I believe it was, and they won a yep. lot of them. They saw him against Pittsburgh, too. He played center a little bit during Pittsburgh as well. Speaking of Pittsburgh game, I had to give someone credit that – you know, probably I don't do enough of, and I, I apologize, but Jake, good game last night, man. Actually played really, really smart hockey. I bookmarked this specifically for you. Jake Voracek, thank you for bringing this up at the last minute. Jake Voracek, since November 23rd of, this, of 2019, he's played in 28 games. How many points does he have, Scott? Um... 
boy, I'm going to say 20. 25. At a plus 14. Oh, okay. You know what? I have to go back. What game was it this week? It might have been. It might have been against. Might have been last night. I know there was one game I watched where, as a winger, your responsibility is you're not really supposed to drop below the dots. Okay. Mm-hmm. I saw Jake get along the wall, open up where he had a stick blade facing the puck. His body was, his back was to the boards. His stick was open, ready to receive a pass. He was in position. He didn't get the puck. And when he didn't, he just took off. So I guess, I guess Vigneault was starting to get through to him because if he's had 25 points in 20 games, that's what you need. He's got, I think he's got a couple, how many goals does he have on the year now? I think he's got 11 or 12 goals now. Yeah, because he had six during this stretch since November 23rd. He has six goals, 19 assists for that 25 points in 28 games. So he's probably around that 13, 14 mark. mark. I, I think he's somewhere along those lines. I think he's around 10 or I think he might have, I know he scored last night. It might have been, gotten him in the double digits, which is 10. But he, he's exactly at 10. Okay, so he's at 10 goals now. So, it's still not exactly what I want to see out of an eight and a quarter million dollar player. I want to see more goal production there, but I have to give him credit because last night what really blew me away at that game, and I know we're jumping a roll around the place here, but one thing that really blew me away about Jake last night, there was one play where it the puck went off of, it bounced off the post and got behind Elliott, and Jake was in the middle. I don't know why he was in the center, but he he was he was in the middle. He was playing center essentially. And he got the puck, and instead of just throwing it down the ice and making a bag clear, he made a move around a guy and and took an extra second and took his time and then worked the puck out of the zone. Now, to me, I've been ripping Jake for a long time because that's that's hockey sense right there. That's hockey sense. That was an amazing play because if you push it out too quickly and you cause a turnover, guess what? The puck's staying in your end, and you probably got a goal coming out of that sequence. So the fact he took an extra second and used his head, the fact that he's getting a position and I see him moving up ice a lot harder than he used to be, I give all the credit in the the world to Vigneault and Astaire for that because I haven't seen that out of Jake since Laviolette was here. So kudos, kudos to you, Jake. You're still, still, I'm still going to dog you, still going to dog you, but you've earned earned a lot of my respect in recent recent weeks. Good job, dude. Maybe he's just adding uh, trade value to him. Maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe he's listening to our podcast. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Like, um, hey, that guy's ripping me. Maybe I should do more. But Hey, he's, he's he's doing a hell of a job. Now, if you are listening, don't think that the pat on the back means is that you can you can slack your ass off now. Keep going, all right? Absolutely. Well, we hope you enjoyed the All-Star Game. We hope you appreciate us being a pro-gritty, free-gritty Hashtag free gritty is going to be circulating throughout the Twitter verse and the Facebook verse for uh, at least a couple of days here while uh, things get sorted out. I, you know, gritty, man. I got I got to be honest about gritty. When he when they first introduced him, hated him, couldn't stand him. And then two days later, I was like, you know what? I kind of dig it. And here's well, why. It was- it's like having a dog. It's like having a dog where you get him. Like, oh, the dog's so cute. And then he comes home. You come home one day and you're. Your couch is chewed up, and there's there's dog poop on the floor, and it's the worst thing ever. And you're like, I hate that dog for like thirty seconds, and you realize how much you love him. So that's how that's how my that's how I feel about gritty. Didn't like it at first, now I love it. Here's the thing too, and I should have if gritty was if I saw gritty, and he suddenly decided to charge me and punch me in the head, I'd say thank you, sir. Can I have another? 
All right, just make sure it's on camera. They're witnesses, you know. Absolutely. Or, That's or fine just, with or me. just read the transcripts. I would, I would really appreciate getting punched in the face from Gritty. Obviously, this kid was allegedly punched in the back, so I think the face is a little bit worse. But that's going to do it for this week of Orange and Back Check. Free Gritty. We are a pro Gritty podcast. Enjoy All-Star Weekend. Travis Konechny will be. I don't think he's in any skills competitions because it's his first one. I don't think he's doing anything in terms of that. Uh, so he's not. He'll, he'll be on the ice on Friday night, but he's not competing and everything. Obviously on Saturday night for the actual All-Star game. Enjoy that. See how our, uh, our only flyer does. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. For Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. Talk to you then. Make Gritty great again! <laughs>